Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. Our own Casey Shepard is with us today. She is going to be interviewing the State Secretary of Education for Oklahoma, the Honorable Ryan Walters. Ryan Walters also is in the race for state superintendent for this fall in the November general election. Back in the summer, he won the state superintendent nomination, the GOP nomination, to be on the ballot in November. We've got Casey with lots of questions for Secretary Walters, and they return here in just a few moments on the road to rural prosperity. Hillary Communications, serving more than 19,000 customers with telephone service in 22 counties throughout Oklahoma and Texas. The company also offers IP television service and internet speeds up to one gig. Hillary Communications continuously researches the marketplace for innovations and strives to improve underdeveloped areas, offering services that exceed customer expectations. To learn more about Hillary Communications, go to hillcom.net. We're visiting with Secretary Ryan Walters. He's running for state superintendent today, and we have some very candid questions from some of our listeners, so we're just going to dive right in. Are you ready? Absolutely. Let's (laughs) let's go. Thanks for having me. All right. Here's question number one. I have heard so many educators express their fears over House Bill 1775 and its ambiguity. They are terrified to teach. Already two of Oklahoma's largest school systems are on academic probation for violations of 1775. I would like an explanation of why this bill is needed. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the bill is needed because we had parents come to us from all over the state that showed us inappropriate material in the classrooms that were telling kids that if they were white, that they were racist, that they needed to atone for the sins of their race. That's inappropriate. We don't want any kind of racism in our schools coming from administrators, educators, or curriculum. So this law was passed with over 80% of support from the legislature to say, in our schools, we're going to focus on academics. And it is very specific. I I reject the view that it's not clear. It is very specific. It gives eight specific things you can't do in a classroom. You cannot tell a kid they are inferior because of their their race. You cannot tell a kid that they should be ashamed of themselves because of their race. And, And there's a few others, but they're very specific to give educators very, very direct explanations of what is what is indoctrination, not, not, not academics. And that's what we want. And when I go around the state, I hear this from everyone. We want a return to an emphasis on the basics in academics. We don't want this left-wing ideology injected in the classroom. And unfortunately, the teachers union has lied about this bill. They have lied and intentionally misled educators. What we've seen is, again, a bill that's clear, We want academics on indoctrination. Here are the eight things that are considered indoctrination. And when I meet with educators and talk them through this, they go, oh, yeah, that's that's really clear. I would never do that. I go, Mm -hmm. okay. Because the reality is most educators get into teaching to go in and help kids and empower kids. This is when I have conversations with teachers. That's what they want to do. So this is unfortunate that the teachers union has lied about this to confuse people intentionally. It's very clear, very direct. We want to focus on academics, not indoctrination. Okay. Question number two. This Man, week, you're just jumping. One, one two, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Rapid fire. Well, this is what they can't say I didn't ask him, right? <laughs> okay, absolutely. No, I love it. This week he came out against the Counselor Corp because it did not have long-term funding. 
talked to us about JAG, which is a program that he and the governor started without any funding at all. It made it through one year at OEQA, then the funding ran out and they dumped it on career tech. What happened with JAG? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah I, I can tell you both of those are very inter- intertwined. Joy Hoffmeister decided, as, as we've seen President Biden do, to take taxpayer dollars and put it and use it in a very fiscally irresponsible way. What she did is she took one-time money and gave it to schools to buy counselors across the state. Hey, if schools want to hire more counselors, that's great. But what she has now created is a scenario where schools have relied on one-time money to hire school counselors, and now that money is going to run out next year. And so now schools are going, well, how are we going to continue to fund this? And it puts the legislature, which is why Speaker McCall came out, uh, against this last week saying, you know, Joy Hoffmeister is putting the entire legislative body and taxpayers on the hook for something that she didn't plan out. She just wanted to get, do a giveaway to schools to, to say, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the ability to hire these counselors. But the reality is she's now put them on the hook where I've had school officials reaching out to me going, I mean, how are we going to keep paying for these salaries? I mean, and that's, again, this is why Joy has been playing politics. She's been trying to put, position herself to win an election rather than doing what's best for kids. The reality is with one-time money, there's so much more we could do. We could have used that money for school safety. Sure. We could have helped. You, you see what happened in Evaldi, and, and this is one of the things that we see, and I've had school administrators reach out to me from across the state about, I'd love to get teachers more more firearm training where they could conceal carry. Mm-hmm. Because, again, I'm of the belief that the Second Amendment, those protections shouldn't stop at a school. The reality is when I go around to rural schools, I talk to a lot of administrators and say, hey, we've got a few people here that carry because someone's not going to come onto our site and do that. We could have put that money into school safety and allowed so many more teachers to conceal carry, help beef up security at schools. But instead, you know, Joy wanted to do this program that, again, the, the money is gone. So it could have gone, gone to something like that. She chose not to. JAG was funded. So the person who asked that question, I mean, JAG was funded. Joy Hoffmeister decided to play a political game, and she said she's the chair of Career Tech, and decided to vote that down when there was plenty of money to do the program. It's a jobs training program. It was one that was really um, successful in a few schools, and she decided on a pure political basis to vote it down um, and to, to push for that program to end because, again, she has used her position over the last few years to position herself for a political race rather than doing what's best for kids. So you've seen a lot of political gamesmanship out of her. I mean, she was a Republican. Now she's a Democrat. She was for teacher raises, and she's against them. Now she's back for them. So she's going to say anything to get elected. And so you've seen her playing games with these type of programs. And it's really unfortunate because at the end of the day, taxpayers are on the hook. And when I go around the state, what I hear from folks is, you know what, I want to make sure that, you know, I I pay taxes. I want to make sure that my taxes are going to help kids or getting to teachers, um, not being stuck in administrative costs, not being used on programs that people don't think are beneficial. They want to know that their taxpayer dollars are being used to help our kids. Okay. Well, studies have shown that investing in early childhood education is one of the most important things that we can do as a state. So what are your thoughts on some ways that Oklahoma can actually make this happen? Um, So it... It depends on how you invest in early childhood education. Um, the, the reality is the best thing we can do for kids is put a good teacher in the classroom, period. That, that is the best thing that we can do. And so what I've continued to push for, Governor Stitt and I called for an audit of the State Department of Education. We've had Joy Hoffmeister who spent all kind of money on bureaucracy and Groenland agency rather than getting that money directly to schools. We called for an audit of Tulsa Public Schools, one of our biggest school districts, that's just been a complete disaster in the way that they've spent money. Because the reality is we've seen this 
while the student population has grown at, a, at just under 20% in the state over the last 20 years, we've seen the, teach, the rate of teachers grow at about 8%, so it mm-hmm. hasn't kept up with students. But guess what? We've seen administrator growth grow by over 30%. So we have a lot more administrator, a lot more administrative staff, and we have less teachers, and we have more students. That, that, that puts a lot of burden and a lot of pressure on our teachers. So what we've pushed for and what I will continue to fight for is to get hard-earned taxpayer dollars to the classroom to teacher pay, not in growing administrator positions, not in programs that when I go around and talk to teachers about some of these programs, they go, it doesn't help me at all. So why are we spending millions of dollars on programs that when I go and get, get in a room with teachers, they go, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even use that program. Okay, well, let's, let's give them the resources they need to be successful. Let's make sure that that money is getting into their, their paychecks. And so that's something that we can do. Way too much money has gone into bureaucracy. It needs to be getting to our teachers. The best thing we can do for young students is put a good teacher in the classroom. You know, I my kids that my kids go to public school up here in North Oklahoma City, and um, you know we're originally from McAllister, and we had great teachers down there, and, and we've got great teachers up here. And you know it's 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 funny because my my daughter came to me; uh, she was in second grade last year, and she came to me and said, "Hey, Dad, you know it was like a choose your career day, right?" And she she decided she wanted to be a teacher, which I'm thinking, "Hey." She wants to be a teacher because her dad was a teacher. That was my background. No, she wanted to be a teacher because Miss Williams, her her second grade teacher, is such a good teacher. Mm-hmm. Talked to him about all these different careers. You know, she was a firefighter one day, police officer. She was a banker. She was a rancher. She went through all these careers, and she goes, "Hey, I want to be a teacher." I'm like, "Hey, how awesome is it that my daughter, you know, like her teacher's so good, and we're so blessed with a great teacher that hey, she's coming out just loving the experiences in her classroom. We need to do all we can to make sure that every kid in the state." has those type of experience with good teachers. So we've got to make sure we're supporting our teachers. Well, speaking of that, what is your plan to fix the Oklahoma teacher shortage? We have, you know, a high number of emergency certified teachers in the state. So what what is your plan looking forward? Yeah, you know, let me let me give you a few, a few things that we can do. Number one is we've got to eliminate indoctrination in the classroom. I've got teachers calling me from different school districts talking about what their administrators are forcing them to teach. And they go, look, I didn't come in here to teach sex ed to fourth graders. Mm-hmm. I came in here to teach math. And teachers are growing more and more frustrated with what administrators are pushing on them that's not academics, it's indoctrination. So we've got to get that eliminated. Number two, one of the things that we have to continue to do is we've got to make sure we have discipline in the classroom. I cannot tell you how many times I hear from teachers that say, I'm trying my best, but, you know, my administrators don't support me with discipline in in, in my school, in my classroom. And you can be the best physics teacher in the world. You can be the best, you know, third-grade English teacher in the world. But if you're not getting support from your administrators on that – you're not going to stay in the profession very long. The other thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that we're getting money to the classroom. I mentioned this about teacher pay, making sure that the money's not going to administrators, but it's getting to teachers for teacher pay. But the other thing that we've got to do is we've got to make sure that they're getting the professional development, they're getting the classroom materials they need. This is, again, an emphasis on accountability and transparency to make sure that money is being spent on the best needs for teachers. That's why I'm going to push and, and, and develop at the State Department an ability for folks to see how schools are using their money. You need to be able to click on their website and see exactly where all the dollars are going. And what you're going to do is you're going to see a continued encouragement. Communities want money getting to the teachers. Sure. I mean, everywhere I go, I don't hear people talk about their favorite, you know, education bureaucrat. They talk about their favorite teacher. They, mm-hmm. they want more money getting to the classroom um, through th- the, uh, the uh, investment we've already made, not money going to uh, administrative bloat. So, and the other thing the governor and I created last year uh, through the legislature is I think our best teachers need to make a lot more money. Sure. Um, we develop using funds that are already there. We have the lottery money that has been sitting there. 
And so the governor and I pushed a plan and got through the legislature last year to say, we want to give teachers a pathway to make up to six figures and stay in the classroom. I mean, we do this in every other industry. If you're really great at what you do, mm-hmm. we give you a pathway to make more money. But in education, we say, if you're really great, you know what you should do? Go be an administrator. And it's a different, hey, I'm, I'm glad we have some great administrators around the state. It's a different skill set. I want our great teachers to stay teachers. So we've developed that. I think it's going to be really key in not only retaining teachers, but also part of that plan is to have them be mentor teachers. So when mm-hmm. you get new teachers on board, they're being trained by one of the best and brightest teachers in their area. And I think this is how you begin to develop this pipeline where folks get into the profession. You're good folks. You have incentives for them to stay because they have that ability of, of upward mobility. And, and then again, you're developing um, – real onboarding processes so that teachers know, hey, I'm going to get a mentor. I'm going to get to co-teach with a really great teacher. I think when we start doing more things like that and rewarding the best and thinking outside the box with solutions um, similar to that, we're, we're, going to get, we're going to get young people excited about teaching again. Absolutely. When he talks about phasing out federal funding, what is his plan of action to replace those federal funds? Federal funds pay for many crucial programs in our public schools, and they will not survive without them. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've talked about this for over a year, and I know that, you know, my opponent has lied all over the state of Oklahoma. Um, you know, the teachers' union continues to lie all over the state of Oklahoma. Uh, I'm not, uh, not, not surprised by that. But what I've said from day one is I'm going to audit every single dollar in education. Every single dollar that we spend, I'm going to audit. Every single program that's been going on at that department, I'm going to audit because Oklahomans deserve better than being 49th in education. We have invested more in education right now than we ever have as a state. We have invested in the last four years over $1 billion in reoccurring revenue to education and asked teachers if they feel that investment. Most of them will tell you they don't. They have not seen that. It's not making its way to the classroom. I've also, we've seen different examples of federal funding that has had strings attached to it that don't go, uh, don't align with Oklahoma values. We're not going to have boys going in the girls' bathrooms in the state of Oklahoma. We're not going to allow it. Joe Biden wants that to happen here. Joe Biden wants us to teach critical race theory. Joe Biden wants us to have pornography in the classrooms. These books that they are pushing with these different programs, they're pornography, and they are pushing them to early grade school kids. I've been really clear on this. It's not going to happen here. I'm going to fight the Biden administration to reject any type of strings like that. But what I've said from day one is if we're taking grants or we have money that says, hey, you got to do this and it doesn't align with our values, I want to work with administrators, teachers, and parents across the state to say, number one, does this help kids? Number two, does it have strings attached that go against our values? Number three, is there an accountability process in place? And if the answer to those questions is is no, then we need to be phasing those dollars out. That doesn't mean every dollar. That doesn't mean a blanket statement. That means a digging in to ensure that money is going to the best use of our, for our teachers and for our kids. And so I'm absolutely going to look at every single dollar, and I'm going to make sure that we don't have curriculum and programs that go against our values. So that's you know I'm going to continue to do that because I think it's key to ensure that every dollar is being spent in the best way for our kids. But to be clear, you're not saying we should phase out federal funding. No, it was a very specific, you know, they, they, they decided to cut up a clip of me talking about a specific program. I mean, again, I, I think if the program doesn't meet the criteria I just said, we need to start having the conversation about, okay, well, 
how, what do we do? We, we need to move away from this money. We need to figure out kind of what we can do instead. But the reality is, is that's a conversation I want to have with superintendents. And again, I've, I've started these calls with superintendents and teachers from around the state of, hey, talk to me. What programs are beneficial? Which ones aren't? This is the deep dive that's needed. We, for years now, have had a superintendent that's just grown bureaucracy over there. She's worked with the Biden administration to bring in all this, uh, you know, the, the, the strings into the state of Oklahoma. Joe Biden didn't have a clue about how to educate a kid in Oklahoma. I mean, Joe Biden doesn't have a clue about a lot of things, but he definitely doesn't have a clue about Oklahoma education. So this is the conversation I want to have. I want to work with teachers, parents, school leaders, community leaders across the state and say, how do we get to be a leader in education? And if what's holding us back is, hey, well, we there's this one federal program here. I'm going to give you an example. We have some federal programs where they give us a million dollars, but they require the state to match it with $3 million. And if you come and tell me, well, that program there really doesn't help, I'll say, well, then we could use the $3 million for something that does help. Sure. I mean, so those are the conversations that we need to have. And it's not, you know, I've never said I'm going to come in here and do, you know, A, B, and C without talking to anyone. I'm saying the conversation is going to happen. I'm going to hold um, uh, folks accountable, and I'm going to make sure that what we're doing is what's best for kids. But what I'm hearing you say is I'm not planning on phasing out FFA. I'm scared for our 4-H program. <laughs> I'm scared of, you know, X amount of program, right. career tech, all of those things. Yeah, I mean, you know, you're not going to find a bigger supporter of FFA, FHA, and ag than, than me. I mean, you know, part of what I, I talk a lot about parental empowerment. You know, I talk a lot about getting parents more involved. And what I hear across the state is, you know, I worked with uh, the speaker a couple sessions ago about about just how to allow kids to transfer into schools that have a great – and the example he gave was ag programs because mm-hmm. that's what he heard a lot. And we come from the same neck of the woods down in southeast Oklahoma, and we heard that a lot is, you know, we want access to an ag program. We want access to a career tech. No, th- these are fantastic programs. As a matter of fact, we've got one of the highest performing career techs in the country because of their alignment to workforce. They embed themselves in local communities. They really ensure that students are equipped um, in order to um, get into local uh, jobs. I think there's, I think that mission is one of the most vital to the state of Oklahoma, ensuring our young people are connected with their local community. And I think FFA, FHA, and Career Tech are absolutely some of the most vital. I, have, I will be a champion for those programs and will always fight for kids to have access to them. Well, let's break down the voucher system. Lots of people have said this is going to damage rural communities in school. But first off, let's be clear, whether anyone supports it, whether you do or you get elected or you don't, the state superintendent can only make recommendations. It's got to pass through the legislature anyway, correct? Correct. You know, I mean, and this is part of the, the conversation. I, I think parent parental empowerment is key to education. I think nobody knows best for their kids and their mom and their dad. And so what I want to do is continue to empower parents. Now, you know, that looks very, that can look different in different areas. You know, um, allowing parents to choose the school of their choice, I believe, is very important. I believe in Tulsa, Oklahoma City, you're going to see a lot of that. I think in rural Oklahoma, it's more of the conversation we just had about access. It's about can a kid get, you know, is, do they have access to a career tech? Do they have access to an FHA program, to an FFA program? Do they have the ability to be in a work uh, internship or externship? Th- this is really when you're talking about parental involvement. Do they have access to different programs that meet the needs of the, of the child? Do they have the ability to see what's going on in the schools? Um, yeah, I have this from parents all the time. You know, I, I want to see the curriculum. I want to know what my kids are being taught, and I want to be able to have say into what's going on in my local school. That's what I see as key here is parental empowerment 
you're, you're hearing, you know, my opponent and, and the teachers union lie about what this will do here and there. And the reality is, you know, everything that we've talked about, about parental empowerment and, you know, school choice programs, Arizona has had these programs in place for 30 years. And there hasn't been a single public school close in the entire state in 30 years. So these are fear tactics that they use. But, you know, I think Oklahomans see through this. I'm going to – I believe in parents. I believe in our rural communities and our rural schools. I believe they are the background – the backbone to the education system in the state of Oklahoma. I'm going to do all that I can to continue to empower them and to make sure that they're strong. Um, the governor and I pushed and passed the Red Bud Act, which put over $38 million into stabilizing our most rural schools. That was something we thought was very important. We hear from rural communities about how important their local school is, and I'm going to continue to fight for them and make sure that they have the resources uh, needed to be successful. So to be clear, the voucher system is not going to hinder rural schools, in your opinion? Absolutely not. Okay. I mean— the reality is what I hear more often than not is is people who want the experience that comes in our in our rural schools. Up here in, you know, Oklahoma City and Tulsa, you know, a lot of things we hear about is the bloat, the 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 size of the schools. In a lot of places in rural Oklahoma, hey, your superintendent's wearing three or four hats. They're very involved, they're very embedded in the community. The administrators, the teachers are very embedded in the community. This is really how you get education back on track is getting that community involvement and we see that in rural schools. So Anything that we do related to parental empowerment is absolutely not going to damage rural schools. I, I believe it's the, the uh, backbone of our education system, so I would never do anything to, to hurt rural schools. Follow-up question. Would it really be beneficial to pay for students to choose their own school and fund private schools versus the money going to public schools? Wouldn't everyone want to go to a private school? Wouldn't it be better to spend money and improve the public schools so that students would want, a school, want to go to school and teachers would want to teach? We've invested record amounts in public education, and we will continue to invest record amounts in public education. Taxpayers are paying more into our public school funding formula than ever before. We've seen a nearly 30% increase in the funding for our public school system in the last four years. This is a, tr- a tremendous um, you know, uh, you know, job that the legislature and the governor has done to continue to fight for that. And so, absolutely, we want to continue to invest into our, our school system. Also... What we're investing in is a child's education. And, and I don't believe, you know, the, the, the statement that most people would send their kids to a private school. Most people send their kids to a public school. I send my kids to a public school. I've only taught in a public school. There are some opportunities in inner cities, especially, that parents have these options of really small private schools that help meet the needs of an individual learners. We've got private schools that serve uniquely homeless kids here in, in Oklahoma City that serve students with learning disabilities, severe learning disabilities. We've got we've got schools for uh, uh, private schools for parents that, that are, are for kids that parents are incarcerated and are actually still in prison. I mean, there are specific needs there that we need to make sure that students' needs are being met for all those individual circumstances. But this view that the teachers' union keeps pushing that it's one or the other is wrong. We can have an incredibly strong public school system. I want us to have the best public schools in the United States. We can also empower parents to make decisions on what's best for their kid, which might mean some choosing private school or charter school options. We can absolutely do both, and as a matter of fact, we've seen other states show indicators that both actually help more school choice, 
actually helps the public school system. It helps move children around so they're in the best learning environment, which also helps your traditional public schools. And frankly, the more that you see parental options and parental empowerment, the more we're going to be able to invest in our public school system. So I'm, I'm going to do both. I'm going to fight for, for both. And I believe that having the best public schools in the country is, is my top priority. Would you support a pay raise for special education paraprofessionals who only make $12 an hour? How does the plan for teachers to make six figures work? I've heard you and the governor both talk about it, but did not know how it is determined. Great question. I think that our paraprofessionals are key to solving the teacher shortage, to giving stability to schools uh, during this time, on making sure that students have the support that they need inside their schools. It is key that, number one, we continue to push money from administrative staff into paraprofessional pay. And number two, I think it's key that if paraprofessionals want to become teachers or want to certify in different areas, that we get them a fast track to do that. When I go around to schools all over the all over the state, I hear, we've got, hey, you've got to meet some of these paraprofessionals we have here. They are really incredibly beneficial to what we do here. And I meet some fantastic folks that, again, I've got teachers and, and administrators telling me, hey, if it wasn't for these folks right here, I'm telling you, I, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And so we've got to support them. And that, like I said, that is that is getting more of the, the pay from administrative costs into their pockets, number one. Number two, it's giving them those pathways. Um, then you asked a question about specifics on the six-figure salary. What that is is that is, again – you know, you can be Joy Hoffmeister and just throw, you know, throw numbers out there and pull them out of the thin air and and um, have a Joe Biden type plan where you just say things and you have no idea on how to pay for them. Or you can work hard with the legislature and find a pathway to do this with existing funds. The reality is, we pay a lot of money in taxes here in the state of Oklahoma. I got a lot. I know a lot of folks all over the state that are working their tails off that are then sending all these tax dollars to the state. We've got money. It's a matter of how we spend the money. So we looked at the lottery fund, and we see that some of that money has not been being allocated to schools yet. And what we said is we want to incentivize every school in the state that if they're going to spend more money on their teachers, we will incentivize it by using lottery funds to match those funds. So when you have a great teacher and you want to keep that great teacher and you want to pay them $15,000 above their base pay, the state will come in with those lottery funds and match them another fifteen. So that will that can happen up to fifty thousand dollars. So the match will match up to fifty thousand dollars. So teachers can make well over a hundred thousand. I met multiple superintendents while we were working on this bill who said, "Y'all pass that, I'll, uh, within a year, I will have some of my staff that can hit six figures." And again, this is what we've been missing in education: is the ability when you have a rock star teacher and you have a teacher that can do other things. They could go enter in the private sector and do something else. They could really help the younger staff and really teach them and train them. But, you know, we we haven't given them the ability to, one, stay in the classroom and do those other things. Hey, maybe you teach for half the day, and then you mentor these other teachers. Maybe you mentor other teachers on Fridays. You know, however you set that up, we gave a lot of flexibility because we worked with administrators across the state on how can we how can we make this law work in a way that gives you the ability to be successful. And, again, we gave multiple – we gave six ways for teachers to meet the criteria – of getting the pay raise. Because again, we didn't want it to be onerous. We didn't want it to just be teacher evaluation. We wanted them to be able to develop their portfolios. We wanted them to be able to show signs of success because the reality is an art teacher, a rock star art teacher might look different than a rock star physics teacher or a first grade math teacher. And so we gave broad um, discretion there with that. We looked at Iowa, Tennessee, and and Texas. And we took everything that they did and added that in here. And we took local... um, 
advice there on making that very broad. Again, where administrators, hey, if you're a great teacher, we want you to be able to show you're a great teacher, and we want to be able to reward you. And we're going to be one of the f- one of three states in the country that have given teachers a pathway to make this kind of money. I'm very excited about it. I think it gives us a tool to recruit and keep some of the best teachers. And so I think it's key. So how does it work? Does the school decide like who they nominate as the best teacher? So it, the school yep. decides. The school decides. The school um, works with the teacher. They develop, and again, they have these six different areas in which they can do it. They then send it over to the State Board of Education. The State Board of Education certifies it, and boom, the, the lottery funds come in to match it. So that school district, and the school district does show how, you know, we're going to pay them, you know, 10000 20000 and then the lottery matches that. And again, look, look and, and I love it because it's both sides. Here's the money. Here's where it comes from. But also, we're incentivizing schools to say, listen, instead of hiring another administrator, instead of hiring more bureaucracy, reward that teacher and let that teacher do some of these things that you need. We need, to, we need help onboarding new teachers. We need help mentoring and, and co-teaching with new teachers. Okay, Let's use our best teachers to do that. Let's not use a program. Let's not pay out-of-state vendors. That you know, We're not going to pay somebody to come into the state and come talk to our teachers one day and leave. Well, let's pay a teacher who lives there locally in the school district. Let's let them do some of those trainings. And I think that, again, as a teacher, the best trainings I ever received, the best help I ever received were from other teachers. I mean, I, that was I, you know. I won't. I won't give the full long story, but I mean, I, I a few months in, I really struggled as a teacher. I, I wasn't doing as well as I as I wanted to, and luckily, I had a, a veteran teacher down the hallway that started walking down to my room every day, started talking to me, started talking to me about how how we can structure my class to get more kids involved. And then by the end of the semester, it was much better. But again, we need to have an intentionality about that. So that every new teacher knows I'm going to be partnered with a mentor teacher, with a teacher who knows what they're doing, who can really help me daily. Because being a great teacher is incredibly difficult. I mean, it is an incredibly difficult job to have, you know, a classroom of 20 kids and get the most out of all those kids. And, and we've got to do what we can to make sure that we're putting our teachers in a position to be successful. I think we all learned that when I had to homeschool my kids for <laughs> like <laughs> – I learned very quickly how important our teachers were. But I know we've covered this a little bit, but kind of just give us your summary plan for teacher retention here in the state. Yeah. You know, we get indoctrination out of our schools. We continue to use accountability and transparency measures to, first of all, allow people to see where money is being spent, but then push it down to the classroom. We cannot continue growing bureaucracy. And I can tell you that in working you know, with state government is, my goodness, bureaucracy wants to grow itself. You know, that is that is what bureaucracy does. It's what's happened at the State Department of Education. And it's what's happened in districts all over the state is we've got to continue to say, and again, we go back to the funding issue. Some of these grants we've taken have said, well, you've got to hire these administrators to do this paperwork. Again, is that a good use of dollars or should those dollars be spent in the classroom? giving teachers what they need to be successful. And so that's one of the things we have to do. We've got to continue to make sure that that money is getting to the classroom. We've got to make sure discipline is there in our schools. I mean, again, you know, I hear these heartbreaking stories from teachers about, uh, you know, I'm going to quit. I I just am not getting any support. Administrators have to support their teachers. It is the teachers' classrooms where magic happens. That's where learning happens. It is inside the classroom. Administrators have to have a culture of a school that allows teachers to be successful. That's discipline. That's a culture of high expectations. You know, I talk about this a lot. You know, my background is a basketball coach too. So, you know, I, I, I have uh, uh, done that for – I was a basketball coach for eight years. And, um, 
you know, you, you coaches do this. You hold kids to high expectations. Sure. You don't come in and say, hey, you know, we're playing a tough team tomorrow, so we're probably going to get whooped. You know, you, you <laughs> say, hey, we're playing a tough team tomorrow, so we got to practice hard. we got to stay extra long after practice. Hey, if i got a player that's struggling with free throws, guess what? We're going to stay after practice and work on your free throws. I'm going to individualize what I'm doing to make sure I'm getting the most out of every kid. Same, same lessons apply to education. But for so long, we've had low expectations. And if you have low expectations on student behavior inside of school, you're setting your teachers up to not be successful, and you're setting your students up for failure. Because we know, as parents, grandparents, kids will rise to the level of expectations you put on them. That Those level of expectations should start at the State Department, and they should also be in every school with the administrator setting that culture for their teachers. Final question. Is money from medical marijuana and the lottery actually going to the schools as promised? And if so, why are so many schools still underfunded throughout the state? Great question. And this is why... You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw another distinction here. You know, the governor and I called for an audit of the State Department of Education, and in that audit, we said we wanted every dollar audited. We mean federal dollars, state dollars, local dollars, lottery dollars, everything. And we want it laid out for everyone to see, and so that's something the auditor's working on. I'm also telling you, when I come in office as state superintendent, I'm going to do my own internal audit of everything going on there because taxpayers need to see where their money is going, and we need to make sure it's being utilized but, th- but this is the question that folks have all over the state. Is this money getting where it needs to go? We have got to continue. And, and, and by the way, when the governor and I announced that, Joy Hoffmeister said that it was an attack on public education. What do you think about that for a second? That we want to audit, make sure money is getting where it needs to go. And Joy's reaction is, this is an attack. It's not an attack. It's ensuring that taxpayer dollars are being spent appropriately. So th- when you have left-wing Democrats in these offices – They don't hold people accountable. They don't hold taxpayer dollars accountable. This is where we have to have someone in this office who's willing to say, I need to see where this money is being spent. I need to see the receipts. I need to make sure that what we're doing is beneficial. And, hey, I'm a believer in an open door. I'm very direct. Uh, I'm always going to tell people where I stand. I always have an open door that I'm going to, hey, I'm willing to talk to anybody and everybody. Let's figure out what the problems are and let's fix them. So I want to work with administrators, teachers, parents, community leaders across the state and say, hey, are you getting the money you're supposed to be getting? Are your strings attached to it that's inappropriate? Um, are, are you getting it in a reasonable fashion? I'm going to tell you, you can ask uh, you know, administrators about this as well. They're not getting the answers from the State Department in a reasonable manner. They're not getting help and, 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 and the clarity they need on when they're supposed to be getting their allocations. These are things that are being done because there's a dysfunctional leadership of the State Department. And what I intend to do is to bring transparency like we've never seen before there where anybody can see it. I don't just mean school leaders. I mean everybody in the community. If you want to see where money's going, here it is. You can see every dollar. If you want to see what programs are going on here and what curriculum's being pushed here or what de- professional development – Here it is, complete open book, completely transparent, because that's how you ensure the best use of taxpayer dollars. And that's what we've got to continue to do with all of these funds. All right, I missed one. Sorry. No, You are the chair of the OEQA Commission. Do you plan on showing up for the meetings if you're elected, especially if you're chair of the board? That board decides on accreditation for all colleges of education in Oklahoma, so it's critical that you be there. Um, So... With OEQA, we've got to figure out some major issues going on in our colleges of education. What we've got to figure out, and I hear this all over the state of Oklahoma, is we have a lot of teachers that don't feel like that when they went to a college of education that it equipped them 
to be a good teacher. I hear from a lot of folks in higher ed that complain about left-wing indoctrination in our colleges and universities, and I hear folks complain about left-wing indoctrination at our left at, at our at our higher ed institutions. They have to be held accountable here and ensured that, first of all, they take taxpayer dollars. So we're paying for the education that folks are getting at our higher ed institutions, number one. Number two, we have to make sure that when we're sending people to colleges of education, that they're coming out as better teachers. And so what I intend to do is do a deep dive into what's going on in these higher ed institutions and ensuring, and again, this is a lot of feedback from teachers. And I love talking to teachers who just came out of these programs. What's your first year like? What's your second year like? Give me Give me some feedback here on how helpful it was. And, and there's, some that, there's some programs in the state I think that do a really good job. Um, and then there's others that I think that have not been equipping our young people to be successful in the classroom. No teacher wants to go be a teacher and not be a good teacher. But if they're not trained properly, if they're not given the tools to be successful, then they get in the classroom and, and they're not able to be as effective as they want to be. So we have to do a deep dive into this and figure out why do we have so many teachers that are saying – my education that came out of a college of ed didn't properly prepare me. We've got to make sure that we're doing all that we can. And I, like I said earlier, it's very difficult to be a good teacher. What can we do to make sure that they're being trained in a way that makes it very beneficial? And higher ed, higher ed needs to get their act together on indoctrination that's going on there, and they need to get their act together on continuing to raise tuition prices. We, we have got some folks that are asking a lot of great questions about why tuition continues to increase and why we continue to put more of the burden on Oklahoma taxpayers. So I am going to do an absolute deep dive into that and ensure that we're getting the, be- the best uh, use of our taxpayer dollars, and we're also preparing teachers in the right way. I'm going to let you close with just teacher to teacher, kind of give them a feel of what you want them to know, because I feel like there's been a lot of things that have gone around. We've all heard different things uh, from both sides. So kind of just speak right now to teachers. Yeah, you know, I am a teacher. Um, my mother was a teacher. I decided I wanted to be a teacher when I was 14 years old, and I was sitting in a U.S. history class, and I had this incredible teacher. He, he since passed, but uh, his name was Mr. Horn there at McAllister High School, and it, I had a great teacher that made history come alive and made me see that through critical thinking and through investigations in history and the understanding of history, it, the knowledge that comes from that actually empowers me as an individual. And I'm a huge believer that America is the greatest country in the history of the world, that our history is something for us to be proud of. Our history is something that we want to pass on to future generations to be inspired by. And I had a teacher that taught me that. And outside of my family, there's been no one who's impacted my life more than my teachers. That's why I got into teaching. Um, that, that's, that's why I'm sitting here having this conversation today. It's what drew me into education is the power of a teacher. Um, I want us to have the best teachers in the country. I want our best teachers to be supported. I want the best for our kids. I want every kid to get the best education possible. And I I know that means, number one, parental involvement, parents engaged, parents having say in their child's education. And and I want that broken down by, hey, not every kid needs to go to college. You know, I think that's one of the things we've gotten very wrong in education. We've tried to push kids and tell every kid they need to go to get a four-year degree. No, they don't. Uh, some of my most successful students did not go to college. I got a kid that I just saw last week. It had been a, been a couple of years, a fine young man. He owns three small businesses now. Ne- never spent a, a, a minute in college. Um, hard worker, knew what he wanted to do, went and worked for some folks, learned on the job. He's got three small businesses. It's fantastic. I mean, just a few years. I've got another, another young man that was a former student of mine that's, that is now an underwater welder for an oil company. He began working his way up. And he even told me the story about he apologized to me that he wasn't going to college because he felt that there were some teachers in our school that made him feel 
that he, that he was a failure for not going to college. He's one of my most successful former students. We've got to get out of that belief that the one-size-fits-all model approach works for, for all kids. You know, every kid's different. Every kid's unique. Teachers get that. Teachers want to be part of those conversations. And so what we've got to do is we've got to make sure that parents are involved. We've got to make sure that parents are empowered. And we've got to make sure that we're doing what we can to support our good teachers. That means keeping them, number one. That means recruiting them. And then it means giving them the tools to be successful. Because, again, I, I just don't know people. I don't know the teachers that get into the profession to say, I don't want to do a good job or I don't want to get better. <laughs> what I hear from teachers all the time is, I, I, I want to do better. Hey, I, I want to be more successful. I, I want to learn. I mean, teachers are lifelong learners. And so what we've got to do is continue to get them the resources to be successful, continue to make sure that money's not going to bloat and money is getting actually to them. And if we do this, and I, you know, I, I've been to all 77 counties, uh, done, done, you know, I think we did 300 events is what we were looking at here in the last few months and uh, talked to tens of thousands of voters. We've, we're the best state in the country. I mean, we have these tight-knit communities that tell me, hey, I want better for my kids. You know, that's what I want. I want to know that the, our school and their, and their education is better than what I got. That's what we want to pass on to the next generation. And we've got a lot of Oklahomans concerned that that's not the case. What I want to do is I want to help us get there. I want us to help get there where parents know my kid's getting a good education. My kid's going to be even more equipped to lead a successful life than I am. My kid is going to be someone that values American history and understands what's made us great as a country, but also the individuals in history, and that they're equipped with a, with a skill set that translates into workforce. And so that, that's, you know, that's why I'm running for this office. I'm a true believer in Oklahoma. I'm a true believer in our communities. I think we can absolutely be a leader in education. I don't mean that, that, the, that to, for bragging rights on a ranking. I mean that because if we're a leader in education, that means our kids have a better shot at a good education than any other kid in the country, and our kids deserve that. So that's what I'm going to continue to fight for. Well, thanks for sitting in the hot seat. This has been a lot of them today, so we appreciate you coming in. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and oklahomafarmreport.com.